at the beginning of uh, chapter 35, we have these verses. We looked a little bit at this at the end of last week, at these verses, right? But I just wanted to repeat them a little bit here. At the beginning of of chapter 35, God says to Jacob, Arise, go up to Bethel and dwell there. there. Make an altar there to the God who appeared to you when you fled from your brother Esau. So Jacob said to his household who and all who are with him, put away the foreign gods that are among you and purify yourselves and change your garments and let us arise and go to Bethel that I might make an altar there to the God who answers me in the day of my distress and has been with me wherever I have gone. And so they gave to Jacob all the foreign gods they had, the rings that were in their ears, and Jacob hid them under the terebinth tree that was near Shechem. See, that's where we get the theme here. Jacob is recognizing now, finally at the end of his life, he's recognizing and he's ready to embrace that reality that God has been the God who appeared to him when he was running away from his family, when he was running away from his brother who wanted to kill him. God was the God who met him there. And God, he says, has been the God that has answered my call in the day of my distress. And he's been the God who has been with me every step along the way. And we know from having studied Jacob's life that, that some of Jacob's steps were not, they did not look like they were walking in a path of obedience. They did not look like they were walking in a path of honesty. But Jacob, having looked back on his life, can look back and say, God has been faithful. This God who said, I will go with you wherever you go, and I will bless you, and I will be with you, that's what he said when I ran away from my brother. He has done it. He is the faithful one to the promise that he has made to Jacob. And in this passage, we're going to see God's faithfulness on display up until this point at Jacob's life. And then we're going to see God's faithfulness on display as Jacob moves forward into his life. Okay? So that's where we're going. God's blessing on Jacob's life up until now, we see some things about God's faithfulness. We see some things about God's faithfulness. The first thing we see is that God is faithful even and especially in contrast to the faithlessness of Jacob's family and of Jacob himself from time to time. That that God's faithfulness, in a sense through the story of Jacob, has been put on display and been magnified through Jacob's wanderings and through Jacob's faithlessness and through his family's even futility. God's faithfulness is on display God had protected Jacob all through his wanderings. In fact, when when Jacob had deceived his brother and his father and was running away from the family, when Jacob was at his lowest point, both personally and morally, when Jacob had proven himself to be that heel grabber and that deceiver, that's where God met him. That's where God met him. And from the time he appeared to to Jacob at Bethel and Jacob's wandering into the land of Laban and Jacob's, you know, conflict and ongoing conflict with Laban, that game of cat and mouse we talked about, when, when Jacob was trying to take Laban's flocks and through some sort of trickery make them his own, God was actually the one, and it says it, Clearly in those chapters, God was the one who stood by Jacob and who even had Jacob's hand prosper 
Jacob did not deserve it. But God had set apart Jacob from birth to be the chosen son, the one through whom God will continue his promised plan of bringing about the Messiah. And God stood with Jacob, and he even prospered and blessed Jacob through that time that he was with Laban. God stood with Jacob when Jacob now had been told by God to go back to the land from which he had fled. And he's about to see Esau. And Esau, he sends messengers in front of him. And the messengers come back and they say, your brother's coming and he's got 400 men with him. And Jacob knows and he believes that Esau's coming to kill him. And he wrestles with God through the night. God blessed Jacob. He stood with Jacob, he was the God who Jacob said, answered me in my day of distress. And he's been the God who's been with me every step of the way. And when Esau came, amazingly and miraculously, they were reconciled together. Esau didn't kill him. (laughs) And so through all of this, through all of Jacob's life and wanderings, God has been faithful to his promise to Jacob. Now, some people have pointed out, and I think it's proper to point it out. You know, I, you guys have been here who've been here for a while. You know I love the book of Acts. I love how Luke, the apostle, or Luke, he's not the apostle, but Luke, he, uh, and I always say this about the, the book of Acts, that, that geography is theology in the book of Acts. And I think I'm learning that in Genesis also, geography is theology. And what's happening here is Jacob is returning now to the land of Canaan, And God has told Jacob to come back to Bethel, the place where God had first met him. But many have pointed out Jacob's, even after wrestling with God, even after having his name changed, there's a certain half-hearted devotion that is apparent in these chapters. Like, Jacob had been wandering in this place called Paddan Aram, which is way, way far away, and God tells him to go back to the land, go back to where I met you at Bethel. And Jacob comes back to the land, but he comes and he stays on the margin of the land, and he actually settles in the city of Shechem 30 miles, 30 miles away from Bethel. He's 30 miles away from getting to the place where God has told him to go. I mean, he's obeyed the Lord by leaving Laban, and he's obeyed the Lord by confronting Esau, and he's obeyed the Lord by coming into the land, yet he stopped so short of complete obedience, right? He stopped so short from fully coming back and being in that place where God has commanded him to be. And I don't know why. The text doesn't tell us why he stops. Like, it doesn't tell us why he he decides to stop and settle in Shechem and not press on and go all the way to Bethel. And that 30 miles might not seem like a lot, but it seems to suggest a reluctance on Jacob's part to a wholehearted dedication with the Lord. And I don't think it's just geography that tells us that. We can see that through, you know, Jacob's actions that we looked at last week. Where when he's living in Shechem, you know, controversy and actually tragedy strikes his family. And Jacob is willing to compromise with the inhabitants of the land. Remember we talked about he's willing to extend that covenant sign of circumcision to people who didn't follow the covenant God. And so Jacob was willing to compromise. He hadn't come back to full obedience by coming back to Bethel where the Lord had met him. 
he was content to remain in Shechem. And we see it even happening in his families. Somewhere along these wanderings, which has probably taken about 10 years at this point from when he left Laban, his family has accumulated idols and false gods. And you have here at this beginning of this chapter a picture of a family who is living in half-hearted devotion to the Lord. And man, I can look around and I can look within my own heart and I can look and say, yeah, that is a pretty good description of maybe a lot of us where we, we are truly scared to go all the way with God. We're truly scared to come back and truly, truly submit our whole life as an act of full obedience and full devo devotion to the Lord. I remember when I was in high school, um, part of my testimony of how I became a pastor was I'd sometimes tell this story and I'd joke about it, but I realized that studying this pastor this week, I shouldn't maybe joke about this because one of the things that happened where the Lord spoke to me and, and directed me to, uh, pursue a relation, to pursue ministry was that a missionary came to our church. And the big profound part of this missionary coming to our church is he didn't come from a Christian family and yet he was giving everything to the Lord and the Lord was sending him to Turkey to be a missionary. And uh, that struck a chord with me because I didn't come up from a Christian family. I kind of thought you had to be raised in the church in order to really be that sort of worker for God. And so when I heard this guy say, well, he wasn't raised in the church, um, the, the Holy Spirit really just spoke to my heart. But I often tell that story, and I say this at the beginning because this is true. I say, a missionary came to my church, and as a youth, I was sitting in the back of the church because I didn't want to listen to the missionaries who came to our church because I was thinking, I don't really want to hear what they have to say because I don't want God to mess up my life. Right? I don't want God, I don't want to be confronted with a God who demands that sort of, any sort of full obedience and dedication. I, I want to have, I've got my plans, I've got my future, I've got my friends, I've got my popularity, I've got my job track, right? I have got my life in this nice little box, nice and neat, and I'm going to this university, I'm going to study this, and I'm going to do this with my life. I've got it in that box, and I don't want God coming and messing with any of that. And so as a Christian, I'm, I'm more than willing to outwardly look like I'm a follower of God, but I'm way more than willing inwardly to settle in Shechem and not go all the way into Bethel. Spiritually, you know, just metaphorically speaking. Yet it was that half-hearted living that had contributed to those ter terrible consequences we read about last week. And so Jacob, to his credit, so, so the point here is that God has been faithful to Jacob all along. And God appears at the beginning of this chapter, and he, he appears to Jacob again and says, Jacob, now it's time. Go all the way. Go back to Bethel, where I first met you. And so Jacob, to his credit, he hears the Lord. And he says to his household, to all who are with him, put away the foreign gods that are among you, purify yourselves, change your garments. Now, if you think about it, they didn't have, like, I know if you guys are like me, you have more clothes in your closets than you can count. They probably didn't have that. This was a, this is a sign of sacrifice and dedication, repentance. 
changing your clothes, putting away your idols, and they buried them all at Shechem. And Jacob says, as his family repents, the God who answers me in the day of my distress and has been with me wherever I have gone, and he recognized that God has been faithful to Jacob even through his half-heartedness. And so God's been faithful. God is faithful to Jacob as they move throughout the land, right? And I'm going to go fast here. As they journeyed, a terror from God fell upon the cities that were around them, so they didn't pursue the sons of Jacob. And Jacob came to Luz, that's Bethel, in the land of Canaan. And there he built an altar and called the place Al-Bethel, because there God had revealed himself to him when he fled from the, his brother. If you remember at the end of 34, Jacob yells at his sons, because his sons had done a terrible thing. They had actually gone and massacred a whole village, a whole city. It's terrible. And Jacob, instead of saying, how could you have done such a thing, taking the lives of those people, Jacob actually, at the end of chapter 34, says, now look what you've done. Now the people are going to hate us, and they're going to come and kill us. Jacob's more concerned about his own skin than the people that his sons had murdered. And, um, but the Lord has here actually shown that Jacob's fear, uh, the Lord is still watching over Jacob, um, even as they move among the people of the land. God has given Jacob some sort of divine protection and revealed a clear path to Bethel. <laughs> I didn't know that before I was there before. And so Jacob setting up this pillar in Bethel is this picture now that Jacob's gone completely full circle. He has arrived back at that place where he had first met God 30 years earlier before he had started his wanderings among the nations. And God has been with them as he has wandered. And finally, God's faithfulness is on display as he reassures and reaffirms his covenant to Jacob. God appears to Jacob again when he came from Padanaram and he blessed him. And God said to him, and this is re review, it's, it's, it's summary of what he's been saying to Jacob ever since he came back uh, from Laban and, and wrestled with God. He says, your name is, J is, is Jacob, right? The heel grabber. That's what your name is. That's what your character has been. The heel grabber, the usurper. Yet, no longer shall your name be Jacob, but Israel shall be your name. Israel means the one who has striven with God, wrestled with God, and prevailed. And he called his name Israel. And God said to him, I am God Almighty, be fruitful and multiply. The same command that he gave to Adam and Eve, the same command he gave to Noah when they came off the boat. God says, be fruitful and multiply. A nation and a company of nations shall come from you, and kings shall come from your own body. The land that I gave to Abraham and Isaac, I'll give to you, and I'll give the land to your offspring after you. For, for all of Jacob's struggles, for all of Jacob's struggles with men, and for all of Jacob's struggles with God, God here is, is showing his faithfulness to Jacob by reinstating and by reaffirming those covenant promises that have been carrying us along as we have been reading through the lives of these patriarchs in Genesis. These promises that have been made to Abraham and have been passed down to Isaac are now God is reaffirming and reinstituting are going to be part of Jacob's legacy. God has been faithful even as Jacob has wandered. And he actually expands the promise here, doesn't he? We, he says, now nations will come from you and kings will be a part of those nations. So he's giving more details about this promise. 
He is going to be called Israel, God reminds him, because he's the one who struggles with God and has prevailed, not because of Jacob's faithfulness, but because God is faithful. And so, you know, this chapter to me is, is, is this is just this summary now of God's statement about Jacob's life. I've been with you. I've been your God. I'm the faithful one. Every promise I have made, I will keep. And that's the final word, pretty much, on Jacob's life before the focus turns to his son. Jacob is who he is, he is because God is faithful. And I'd ask you guys just to take a moment here in the middle of this message to just kind of reflect. Isn't, isn't this something, I hope, that each of you who are called Christian, who call yourselves Christian, can look back, can reflect on your life and say, man, it is so true that it is God's faithfulness that has kept me. I've, I've gone through times of doubt. I've gone through times of wandering. I've gone through times where my, you know, that song, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it, prone to leave the God I love. But God has been faithful. I've had seasons of rejoicing. I've had seasons of pain. But God is faithful. I've had seasons where I've, I mean, I've literally, I won't get into any personal stories like this, but I've literally had times where I've gone into empty rooms and, and yelled at God. Yelled at him. How could you do this? What are you doing? God is faithful. I've had times where I, I haven't gone through suffering. I know some of you guys have gone through so much more suffering in your lives than, than I can even imagine. And you've cried at night. Tears have been your pillow. God is faithful. And you know that what Paul says is true when he says in 2 Timothy, this is a trustworthy saying. If we've died with him, we'll live with him. If we endure, we will reign with him. If we deny him, he will deny us. Yet if we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. God is faithful. And so I want to talk to you today. I see a lot of young people here. Welcome. And university students, first years, I see you. Welcome. If you're new in your faith, or, or if you're not even yet a Christian, or if you're here today and you're struggling with your faith, I want you to know our hope, the, the hope that we're professing together and confessing together as a church, our hope, our, our hope, our only hope is not in our righteousness. It is not in our goodness. It is not in our faithfulness. Our hope is in the good news of Jesus Christ, that God is faithful and God is the God who has kept all of his promises in Christ. He has made promises throughout all of history. To our first parents, Adam and Eve, he has promised he will send the deliverer Messiah who will come and crush the serpent's head. To Abraham, he has promised that there will be an offspring that comes up from his own body who will be a blessing to the nations. And I'm looking out among us and I'm seeing so many nations here and and God promised to Abraham he'll be a blessing to the nations. He promises Jacob that he, their kings will come from his own body. And later he expands on that and says, there will be a king who lives forever. And that king and that Messiah and that blessing and that deliverer has come in Jesus Christ. 
And so I want to I encourage you, if you're not yet a Christian, I want to encourage you, if you're a young Christian or a struggling Christian, when we come together as a church, we're not patting ourselves on our back going, good job, you've been good and faithful this week. Now, we will rejoice when you have been good and faithful. But ultimately, when we gather here together and we are encouraging one another in the name of Christ, our encouragement is Christ alone. Our hope is in Christ alone because he is the faithful one. He is the faithful one. And so if you're a new Christian or if you're a struggling Christian or you're not yet a Christian, I would implore you and plead with you, look to Christ. Lift up your eyes and look to him. Call upon him because everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved and those who trust in him, the scripture says, shall never be put to shame. That is awesome. Not because of who we are but because of who he is. Amen. So what happens at the rest of this chapter? Well, the rest of this chapter into the next, I told you about how God has been faithful throughout Jacob's life, and now going forward, let's see how God is faithful. First, I would, I would share God is faithful, and this is really important to us. God is faithful in the face of death, loss, and grief. And some of you need to hear this. And some of you will need to hear this now for things you will face in the future. This passage that summarizes the life of Jacob and underscores God's faithfulness has actually, it's filled with death. It is filled with death. So in Genesis 35, 8, before they leave, uh, before they leave Bethel, Deborah, Rebekah's nurse, died, and she was buried under an oak below Bethel, and he calls his name Alan Bakuth, the oak of weeping. Now, Deborah, um, being, Ra being uh, Rebecca, Jacob's mom's servant, she must have traveled with this family for at least these 30 years since Jacob has left Rebecca. She's been a part of the household with them. And so before they leave, at the moment where, God, where Jacob meets God at Bethel once again, and at the moment where God is reaffirming his promises to Jacob, there's loss in the family. Right at that moment. Where Jacob's like, okay, put away all your gods. We're going to worship the Lord. We're moving on to Bethel. We get to Bethel. We're worshiping the Lord. We're setting up our altar. We are, we are communing with God. And that is when death strikes. And he calls it the oak of weeping, but there's a lot more weeping in this chapter. Before we're done, they journey from Bethel. And while there's still some distance from Ephrath, Rachel went into labor, and she'd hard labor. And when her labor was at her hardest, the midwife said to her, don't fear, you'll have another son. And as her soul was departing, for she was dying, she calls him named Ben-Oni, son of my sorrow. But his father called him Benjamin, the son of his right hand, and Rachel died, and she was buried on the way to Ephrath, which is Bethlehem. Rachel is his, his beloved wife, Rachel. And, and she was the barren wife, Rachel, right? And, and she'd been barren for most of her adult life, miraculously or, or, or just by God's providence, she'd have her first son, Joseph. But then it's years and years before she has another son. There would have been much rejoicing, just as there's much rejoicing. I mean, I've known some of you guys who have been trying to have kids and and it's been a struggle, and when you, when you, when you have them, it's, there's much rejoicing. And so the whole camp would have been rejoicing with Rachel that she's about to have this child, and the whole community, the whole camp rejoicing, and then tragedy. And Rachel doesn't come through the birth. She passes. 
Where's God? I can imagine Jacob. Where's where, what God? What I, I'm, I'm right now, God. I'm, I've, I've given it all to you, and you give and you take away and you give and you take away. And at the end of this chapter, they come and they finally reunite with Isaac. Jacob's been estranged from his dad for 30 years on the, on the road, and they, they come and they reunite with his father. They get, to, they get to see all the grandkids, right? It's been 30 years, and they get to see the whole family. And they come, and, and, and Isaac and Esau and Jacob, they, they, they're all, it brings the whole family together when Isaac breathes his last, and he dies, and is gathered to the people. And so in the midst of God's faithfulness being proclaimed, there is death and there's loss and there's grieving because God's plan and his promises are going to be moving on through the generations. And in order for God's plans and God's promises to be passed on and moving on through the generations, a generation must come and a generation must go. And it's hard and it hurts and you grieve, but God is faithful. God is faithful. God is faithful in the face of sin and betrayal. It's this short little one-verse story. While Israel lived in that land, Reuben, the firstborn, lays with Bilhah, his father's concubine, and Israel hears of it. That's all we get of this story. That's all we get of it. Um, but it is a terrible betrayal. We're not immediately told of Jacob's response to Reuben's act. Later in the book of Genesis, this comes up again. In fact, this is Jacob as he's dying and blessing each of his sons. He goes to Reuben, the firstborn first, and he says, you have forfeited your right of firstborn by sleeping with your father's wife. Because that's what was going on here. A lot of this may have just been an act of lust. Reuben's probably a young man, about 20, Bilhah's maybe 40. It could have been that, but most people think in culturally what this was was that Bilhah was Rachel's servant, and now Rachel has passed away, and Reuben being the firstborn son of Leah, and that rivalry between Leah and Rachel has now come into the next generation between the brothers. And what Reuben is doing, most people think what Reuben is doing is he's actually making a claim in front of all his brothers, don't mess with me. I am now the Lord of the roost, in a sense. I am now king of the castle. And he, and, he, and he shows his dominance by sleeping with two of his brother's mother. Gross? I know. But that this was actually a statement of extreme betrayal. It was sin and betrayal. And so again, Jacob moving on, going, okay, God, I have here, I'm dedicating my family to you. You are taking this step of obedience and faith and betrayal follows right in that moment. And if we're Jacob again, we may ask, well, God, why? I'm starting to follow you, and, and this happens. And, and this is where, you know, Jacob's life, he's been setting up these stones all the time. Jacob liked setting up stones. They were reminders to him of God's faithfulness. Here I raise my Ebenezer in that song. Here I raise my Ebenezer. There's a stone of standing. 
And Jacob was setting up these pillars and these monuments. Every time it was impressed upon him that God is faithful, he'd set up another stone. And this is the time in Jacob's life probably where he needed to go back and think about all those stones he set up. Because in the face of grief and loss and death, in the face of sin and betrayal, he needs to remember God is faithful. Walking with Christ does not get you a get-out-of-jerkiness-free card. Like, you don't get your I'm-a-Christian card and therefore now everyone's going to be nice to me. That doesn't happen. Jesus said in the world, you will have trouble, but take heart, I've overcome the world. God is faithful in betrayal. Finally, also, I didn't write the right heading here. That should say God is faithful beyond our years. Beyond our years, God is faithful. And here, here's the thing. Gen- Genesis 36 is this long list of a huge genealogy, and it's not even Jacob's genealogy. It's the legacy of his brother Esau. And we're not going to go deep into this genealogy. I want to draw your attention to one verse, which is 36:31. It says, These are the kings who reigned in the land of Edom, before any king reigned over the Israelites. And I think I can summarize the genealogy in this verse. Here's the point. God has made all these promises to Jacob. He's made all these promises to Jacob that he is going to be the one, he's going to flourish. Kings and nations are going to come through Jacob. But also his older brother Esau is going to become a nation. Edom is the nation that Esau becomes. Israel is the nation that Jacob becomes. And what we see in uh, chapter 36 is we see that Esau's nations, Edom nations, they flourish and they expand and kings come from Esau. And that the, the point seems to be that Esau, the kingdoms, the descendants of his brother Esau, were the first to have their kingdoms established, right? There was kings reigning there before any king reigned over the Israelites, And it's especially significant considering where are the children of Israel at this time? You guys know the story? Esau is flourishing, but where are the children of Israel over the next couple hundred years? They're enslaved in a land that's not their own, far from the land. They're enslaved in Egypt. And so... The older brother grows into an older kingdom, the kingdom of Edom, and the younger brother gives rise to a younger nation, Israel. And in time, in time, Israel will supplant Edom just as Jacob supplanted Esau. But it's going to take 800 years. It's 800 years later, the the nations of Edom, the nations descending from Esau, are going to bring tribute to the kings of Israel. 800. Hundred years later. And I, I want to just share something with you all when we're trying to seek the Lord and follow Him. God's faithfulness is an undeniable fact of who God is and who He is in our lives. Yet God's perspective and the way God works His faithfulness out in our lives. Man, we think in days and months and years and semesters, and God thinks in millennia. God thinks in millennia. 
And so he is present with us through each moment of our life, but the outworking of his plan, guess what? Some of the outworking of his plan, of his faithfulness to his church, of his faithfulness to even us, we may never see. It may be a legacy that is established in our life that will come to fruition through our great, great, great grandkids. And that's what this, I think, this genealogy is teaching us. There, God is faithful, and God is faithful even to the promises he made to Esau, and the faithfulness he's showing to Esau and to Jacob are going to work itself out beyond the lifespans of Jacob and of Esau. And that's what we want to leave with us today, is just this idea of, God, your plan is great. God, your ways are holy. God, you are, you're the faithful one. Through every season and every struggle and every trial of our lives, God, you are the God who's faithful to all that you have promised. Great is thy faithfulness. Great is thy faithfulness. Morning by morning, new mercies I seek. All I've needed, your hands provided. Great is your faithfulness, Lord, unto me. We are going to have something cool today. Uh, we've got a young man. Oh, sorry, there it is. We've got a young man who is, uh, wants to come forward today, profess his faith before you, and, uh, and, and, and continue in that starting of that life of walking after this God, this faithful God. So William, could you come on up here, William? Is on, right? William is here. William, you are a what year student? First, second, third? Fourth year. Fourth year? At what university? Carlton University. Carlton University. There we go. All right. So uh, William would like to share a little bit about his life and ab about this God that he is seeking to follow. Well, good morning, everyone. Thank you for coming. Oh, is that, is that working? John, we got this one? Or I can use a podium mic if this is okay? Check, check. There we go. Here you go. Hello? Can you hear me? Yeah. Okay. Good morning, everyone. Thank you for coming for my baptism. Okay. Uh, <laughs> thank you, God, for providing this opportunity to share my testimony in front of everyone. And I want to start off with uh, uh, my initial encounter with this religion. Uh, the Church of Light in Osaka, Japan, was the first church I have uh, seen uh, in my life. And the cross is made of li natural light, and then I was amazed by this elegant design. And this is like an everlasting memory in my in my mind. And throughout my life, as I go got older. And older, and many church, many people from church, told me uh, Jesus forget God forget all the sins, uh, because Jesus died on the cross. And if you truly, we are all sinners, and we f if we truly repent, uh, the God the sin may be forgiven. And And I, there are many, I do a lot of research and there are many types of Christians. And there are some, uh, 
Christians like holding uh, hold bi- the Bible in one hand and then hold the weapons on the other. And then one of my friend told me, if you ever cross the line, if you truly repent, uh, you m- uh, the sin might be forgiven because God loves you for regardless. And Oh, back then, I was non-believer, but uh, I think crossing the line was not good um, at all. But their their opinion changed my whole world, turned my world up and down, upside down. And because of that, I lost sense of direction, and I was ready to commit suicide. But one day, I was in the middle of thinking about my life, the Bible, and church. I, I found out church people are really kind and uh, nice, and they touch my heart. So I, I, am, I made up my mind to uh, follow Jesus. Thank you very much. Awesome. William. Do you admit before God uh, that you are a sinner and are you willing to repent of your sin? Yes. <laughs> nice. Do you believe that the sacrificial death of Jesus Christ on the cross pays the penalty of your sin and redeems you from the slavery of sin? And consequently, do you believe in Jesus Christ as your personal savior through whom your sins are totally forgiven by God? Yes. Are you willing to turn to God and ask his child to love him with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind? and to pursue it to know and to follow his will. Yes. And are you willing to submit yourself to Jesus as the Lord of your whole life, to be his disciple, and learn to be like him in Christian character as well as in Christian service as the Holy Spirit gives you enabling? Yes. Amen. Let's pray for William. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that you are a good, good God. Thank you for you are a faithful God. You're the God who walks with us. You're God who has promised blessings through your son, Jesus Christ. You're the God who has sent your son into this world to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him, that he died on the cross for our sins, that we deserved to suffer that death. Yet he died for our sins in our place and was raised from the dead so that forgiveness of sins could be proclaimed in his name and all who call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And I pray for William, God. Thank you for his profession of faith today. And I pray, Holy Spirit, would you continue to fill William's life? Will you continue to convict him of sin? Will you continue to help him to walk in your ways? Will you give him that love, that joy, and that peace that is promised to all in the the gift of the Holy Spirit that you have provided? And so, Heavenly Father, we pray, God, would you continue to have mercy upon William and continue to help us as a church uh, to encourage William as he walks the way of Christ. In your name we pray. Amen. 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 Yeah, you can take it. Oh. I'll bring these here for you. <laughs> I'll hold them for you. All right. Do you have a towel? Yeah, I have a towel. Where's your towel? Can someone run up his towel? He will need his towel. Thanks.
There we go. Thank you very much. I'll put that, I'll put that here for you. All right. Come on in. Yeah, just walk in. You're going to walk all the way down here. All the way up. All right. And remember? Uh, other hand. There you go. Because I'm going to hold on right here. All right. So William, Fuku, on account of your profession of faith in front of God and these witnesses, I baptize you in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, buried with him in likeness of his death and raised again to newness of life. <laughs> you guys can come on up. You guys can come on. Hey man, here you go. So we're going to sing praises to God. We're going to sing praises to God. That's what she said. <laughs> but um, during, the, uh, during, during this time of response, uh, we're going to be also, during the third song, we're going to be passing out the elements to the Lord's Supper. If you're here today, if you're a Christian, you profess your faith publicly by baptism, uh, you're welcome to take a cracker and a cup uh, along, and, and we'll celebrate together after all the singing. If you're here today, you're not yet a Christian or you haven't yet been baptized, just help us by passing the tray along. And we'd love, if, if that's one of you, we'd love, I'd love to chat with you about what it means to be a Christian. Or if you're interested in baptism, please come and see me after the service. There we go.
majestic your 